So in our reading this year through the New Testament, we're here in the uh, last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation. And uh, um, as, I, as I prepared to read what I'm about to read, I, I thought, you know, oftentimes we'll have Devin playing music, uh, but I, I wanted a little different music uh, as I read the scripture. Sometimes Devin will play it, but I needed something a little bit different because this is, a, this is entering into the throne room of God. And a throne room needs throne room music, doesn't it? Don't you think? I mean, it, it, so, so we're going to begin this scripture before and throughout with throne room music. After this, I looked, and there in heaven a door stood open. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne with one seated on the throne. And the one seated there looks like jasper and carnelian, and around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Around the throne are 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones are 24 elders dressed in robes and golden crowns on their heads. Coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne there is something like a sea of glass, like crystal Around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with a face like a human face, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and inside. Day and night, without ceasing, they sing, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created the word of God for the people of God thanks be to God that that just needed good music right music special music you know what that song do you know what that song's from anybody clueless on that one it's from Star Wars right do you know what that song's called the throne room that's the name of the song throne room that song just belongs. And so in Star Wars, as that, as that story uh, uh, develops in that first movie, 1977, you're going to have to, you know, go back on YouTube to find a copy of it or something. Um, but that first, uh, um, that, that first movie, um, that throne room is at the end of the battle. When Luke Skywalker and, and uh, Han Solo and Chewbacca are mar marching forward to receive their reward for, for a job well done and, and, uh, um, and that music is playing, everybody's celebrating. 
But it wasn't always good before, right? There was a lot of suffering. The suffering under the empire that was, was oppressive. Things just, it, it was hard life for some people. Difficult. And as I, as I read the, the, the scripture that I read today, and it gives this marvelous, outstanding um, image of what, what the heavenly realm looks like, the throne room of God. I recognize that in the, in the chapters before this, in Revelations 2 and 3, Jesus has asked John, the author of this, this revelation, Jesus has asked John, write these things to seven different churches. Some of those churches are doing some good things. Some of them, not so much. Some of them, it doesn't look good. Some of them, trials and tribulations. Some of them are just, just not living the faith. Jesus says to John, write these things. And as John writes these things, so here's what I believe about the book of Revelation. I was, I was talking to one of our church members uh, yesterday um, during the breakfast with Santa. And, and he said he was disappointed in me in my, in my devotions for the book of Revelation. Because what he expected was I was going to give him a date for the second coming. I think he was kidding. Um, I won't call him out, but he's in the room. <laughs> he's hiding now. Um, anyway, uh, so, folks, that's not what the book of Revelation is for. I really don't think so. I mean, it's telling us about a, a future time when, when there'll be an intersection between human history and, and God's cosmology. The, 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 the spiritual and, and, and the, the earthly will collide in a, in a wonderful way when Jesus returns. But... But it's not there to predict a day and a time. Some of what's in that book, um, there's so much symbolism and things like that that I don't get caught up in. Because I think it distracts from, from the overall purpose of that book. And some of what's in that book is meant to be symbolism for the readers to understand what was going on in their day and time. It is meant for their day and time. So if you're looking for the beast and the number 666 in every presidential election, you're doing it wrong. It's not the purpose. It's not what it's all about. And I also recognize that for, for 2,000 years since it was written, people a lot smarter than me have come up with the answers of what it means, and they've all been wrong so far. So could it be that there are, are things that we can look at and say, I see where that's going, and I see where it, it intersects with my life. And I think if we read about those seven churches we're going to find a little conviction of our own. And if we read about those seven churches and then recognize that, that here's John writing, he's, he's writing, Jesus says, write this down, send it to the churches. He's writing it down. Got it. Sardis, got it. Philadelphia, got it. Allowed to say it. Got, ooh, yeah, I got it. I've written it down. I'm going to send this. You know, Jesus, this seems a lot like my life too. I think there's parts of those seven churches that each one of us can identify with that we can say, Wow, I, yeah. hopefully not every part of every one, all seven, but I think they're all there. But you know, the, the beauty of this is that John, that Jesus leads John through those seven churches and the conviction that, that they all should experience in their lives from that conviction to the throne room. 
not from the throne room to shame on you, you're not going to get there, but rather, here's where you're going wrong. Let me introduce you to what happens in the right direction. Let me introduce you to what God is calling you to. And so let me, I'm going I'm to read through those, those seven churches, that, um, not, not from the scripture, just kind of in my own, um, the gospel according to Dave version of, of scripture. Um, and, and here's what Jesus says to those seven churches. He says to the first one, Ephesus, I know you have endured in the faith, but you've fallen out of love with me. That's a problem in the long run. To the church in Smyrna, he says, I know you're afflicted. There's many issues you face. I know people have not always been kind. I hope you know that I'm always with you through it. Keep the faith even in tough times. There is a reward in the end. To Pergamum, I know it's tough to keep following me. There are so many things that seek to draw you away. There will always be those temptations. Be careful not to fall to those temptations as they draw you away from me. To Thyatira, Jesus says, I know you strive hard to make a difference in the lives of others. I know you're doing good things in my name. It doesn't go unnoticed. But you tolerate evil and sin without confronting it. And that will be your downfall. To Sardis, he says, you're really good at doing good things that make you appear to be good Christians. But inside, you're a dying rot. I borrowed that phrase from another translation of, the, of that message. I don't ask only for good works, but that you exercise your faith and worship more and more. Don't mistake busyness in church for a live and vibrant faith. They're not the same thing. To Philadelphia, he says, I know you're a person of little influence and power. Yet you've been diligent in your faith. It's not gone unnoticed. Here in heaven, there is a reward for you yet. And then to the church in Laodicea, and, and this, is the, this is the church that uh, you may not be familiar with that church name, but, but the, the word lukewarm has entered into our colloquialism to, to, to mean something that's not good. And, and here's what Jesus says to a lukewarm church. I see your dead faith. Your worship that is centered more on you than on me. Your church work that is mere lip service with little deep transformation. I have no use for you. You're as bland to me as lukewarm soup. I spit you out. And then he moves from, from that, that tragic reality of what was some people in some churches at that time and might be some people in some seats here today. That somewhere in there, they connect. But he goes from that to grace. He goes from that to the promise. He goes from that to show you what heaven might look like. And as he goes from that, I, I love the image. I mean, here seated on the throne is, is God. And, and God is so marvelous, he tries to explain what, what God looks like using gemstone sort of language. And, and, and it's just this, this amazing appearance of thunder and lightning coming from it. And, and it's just awesome. And, and, and then there's these four creatures, one, two, three, four, and they're surrounding, they're at four corners of the throne, and, and these 
four creatures have different faces, like an ox, like a lion, like a man. Uh, they have, and I think a, a ram was one of them. And, and they have these four different faces, but they have, each of them has six wings. And, and, and beyond that, they each have eyes. And depending on which translation you read, it, this one said the eyes inside and out. What, what it meant by inside was inside their wings. There's eyes all over. And as you read about eyes in the Bible, here's what it means. The, the multiple eyes means these creatures didn't miss a thing. They saw everything. They had full knowledge, full understanding. And as we think about that in the construct of, of this heavenly place and God seated, these creatures have seen everything God has ever done. And you know how they respond to it? Because I know how sometimes I respond to it. Sometimes we respond to thinking God has done something to hurt us in our lives. God has done something to be a challenge in our lives. God has done something to put a stumbling block in our lives. These creatures have seen what God has done. And you know how they respond to it? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They don't go, God, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't know why you do the things that you do. They have seen everything. They have not missed a thing. And their response is worship. Their response is giving God praise. I'm going to share with you that years ago when, I, when my son was, was little, um, uh, he said to me one day, I, 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 you know, five, six years old, something like that. He said to me one day, he said, Dad, I don't want to go to heaven. And a pastor, I'm like, <laughs> What? But, you know, as a father, you ought to do that, too. But, but uh, you know, I got that dual responsibility. And I'm like, you what? And he said, God, can you imagine how boring it's going to be to sit up there and strum a harp and sing hymns? I don't think it's all going to be that way. And we'll get to that in a minute. But, 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 but here in that, in that throne room are people, 24 elders, now, I read several commentaries trying to figure out read some stuff online, some stuff on books, and, and trying to figure out, okay, who are the 24 elders? And I think I have 24 opinions from 24 different uh, people who are, um, so I feel, feel completely uh, um, at ease in offering my own thought, because um, nobody agrees. Uh, it, may it may have something to do with the book of Isaiah. Anyway, 24 elders. Now, in, in, in Jesus' time, when somebody was called an elder, it was somebody that you respected, right? It was somebody that, that, that uh, um, uh, held a high place of esteem because probably they'd lived their life and done things that have earned and deserved that high place of esteem. So if you will, just for a minute, imagine, in my mind, is how it goes. These 24 elders are people who have lived a faithful life, so faithful that if you list the top 100 Christians who ever lived, they're in 1 through 24, okay? And, and, and probably just guessing you're going to know some of them by name, and some of them you go, never heard of them. But they live their life so faithfully, so unbelievably faithfully, that, that we are able to see them as people worthy of honor and respect. And these people who have, who have achieved this high, elevated understanding of the faith, these 24, as they sit in the throne room of God, every time these four creatures praise God, what do they do? They drop to their knees to praise God too. 
to worship God, to offer praise and thanksgiving, to take off whatever crown they have earned in this life and throw it before God saying, God, it's all yours, always was. They're in worship. I'm not sure that's how heaven's always going to be. But there will be a moment, I think, that we'll see the same things that John saw, that this, this incredible worship of this almighty God, and we won't be able to do anything different from what those 24 do, but drop to our knees in worship and give God praise. But as I look at that, and I, I look at these four creatures, who, these created creatures who have seen everything that God has done, as I look at these 24 who have lived, I believe, human lives and, and have, have experienced the presence of God and the reality of God in, this, in the throne that they sit on and you know some of us will have a throne my throne will flush some of us will have different kinds of thrones do you know the drummer's seat you know what they call it a throne I don't know why uh, so Heath gets his own throne or who was playing today Alex Alex gets his own throne um, Alex's throne is going to be a, a drum throne mine's going to flush um, but we'll all have these these thrones that, 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 that but we won't be able to help when these creatures who have seen everything God has ever done, these creatures who understand beyond our understanding, they know God better than anyone else. And here's what I get from this. Those who know God the best worship God the most. Those who know God the best worship God the most. Those, those creatures who, okay, maybe they were created for the purpose of worship. But they've seen everything and there's still no doubt. They still proclaim, holy, holy, holy Lord. And these 24 elders who have lived a life and they're seated before God. And they can't help but worship. They've done some pretty amazing things in their life. But not so much that they don't feel like they need to kneel down, bow down and worship God as well. And so as I think about my son's decision that he doesn't want to go to heaven, I think he's changed his mind since then. Or I hope he has. I'm going to pretend he has. No, I know. I think, um, well, so let me let you in on a little secret that I'm going to preach on as we go through, finish out the, the month in this book of Revelation. And that's this. The, the heaven that we talk about is not the end game. Heaven's not the end game. In, in, in Revelation, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth where the throne of God is among his people. There'll be a time where, where at, at the end of all things, whenever that is, and maybe it's a spiritual thing and maybe it's a physical thing, I don't think the Bible's really clear on it, but it seems like there is this new creation. It even says that. A new Jerusalem, it says that. A new heaven and a new earth that, that, that comes to exist. And you know what you'll be doing? I don't think it's harps and singing. I think you'll be doing what God originally created you to do. And what God originally created you to do, I believe, brings joy to your life. 
I believe that when you are living your life doing what God made you to do, and I do believe it's different for each of us, but if you're living your life doing what God created you to do, the times that you do that, you experience the deepest joy in your life, I believe that's a glimpse of what that new heaven and new earth looks like. Whatever that is. Is it fishing? Is it golf? Is it gardening? Is it, is it, is it uh, uh, um, uh, singing? Is it playing an instrument? Is it caring for another? Is it, is it making a difference in someone else's life? What is it that brings the greatest joy to your life? Because I think that if you'll live that, you'll find yourself drawing closer to God. And you'll understand God a whole lot more. And therefore, those who know God the best worship God the most. And so I look back at, 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 those, at those seven churches and I think, where do I intersect with those seven churches? And which one of those is, for me, um, a caution? And which one of those is... Um, encouragement. Back to the church in Ephesus, but you've fallen out of love with me. Does that sound like any of you that, that there was a time where, where, gosh, you just loved Jesus so much and, and, and now you're just kind of, meh. I came here on Sunday because there's nothing good on TV. In Smyrna, he says, I know you're afflicted. Any of you afflicted? Any of you suffer from problems in life? Any of you wrestling with what's going on in your life? Any of you have people who, who uh, um, uh, attack you or, or have situations that attack you? Any of you feel like you're walking around with a bullseye on your back? We have a family in the church right now that, that, that uh, she just lost her brother. He's 30 years old. He died in a car accident. They're burying him tomorrow. And that sounds horrid and awful. He has a one-year-old daughter. And then a couple nights ago, she rushed her son to the emergency room because he couldn't breathe and he's still in the hospital. And, and you always hear that, you know, you think you got it bad, let me one-up you. But your bad is your bad. Your stuff is your stuff. The stuff that you're dealing with is your stuff. No, no matter, you don't have to compare it to other people. Maybe sometimes it helps you with perspective, but if you're suffering, hear the words that Jesus says to the church in Smyrna. I know people have always, not always been kind. I hope you know that I'm always with you. Keep the faith even in these tough times. And then to the people in Pergamum, he talks about temptations. I recognize in my life, they're, they're, I'm always tempted by things. We all are tempted by things. Um, it's, it's not temptation that is a sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to follow through. And, and, and what I, I've experienced in my life is the more that I seek to worship God, not on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday as well, the more I seek to worship God in the way that I live my life, in other words, doing life the way God created me to do life, the more I do that, the less the temptation I experience. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you as the promise in Scripture. And if we draw near to God, those temptations fade away. He goes on to say uh, of that one church, Thyatira, I know you strive hard to make a difference in the lives of others, but here's my problem with you. You tolerate evil and sin. 
I, as, I, as I read that, I, I couldn't help but think about our, our miracle offering. Um, Christmas Eve, um, you may or may not know this, Christmas Eve, 100% of the offering goes toward mission work that the church does. It's usually somewhere between $100,000 and $200,000. That's how big that offering is. It's, it's a big deal. And so um, uh, that, that mission, we, we've selected eight missions this coming year, 2020, that will be the recipients of that. Our, our ongoing work in Ghana, our ongoing work in Mexico, um, and then... And then uh, Six local missions, and uh, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss one I, I did in the last service. Um, so Room at the Inn, Haven House, um, uh, Circle of Concern, uh, Merrimack School, Agape House, Equine Center. That's the new one. I, th- I think I got them all there. Um, thank you for your help. I needed help last time. So as, as we, as we um, decide that those are the, the eight that we're going to put our focus toward for the coming year, I think about it in these terms. Um, if all we do, let's say with, uh, with Agape House, which um, principally is, uh, uh, or Agape, uh, yeah, Agape House, which is principally a, a food pantry. If all we do is feed people, we've done good. But we've tolerated the systems that make them hungry. And I wonder if that's not what Jesus is saying in this. You're doing good work to care for the immediate needs, but what about what's going on in, in the rest of the world? What about, what about following through? This is, I'm looking at the time. Oh, I'm running late, but it doesn't matter. Um, you got nowhere else to be. So... I, <laughs> I, I was hearing a, a preacher talk about um, uh, just this this uh, image of uh, of a man beside a river, and, and as he's standing beside the river, he sees a baby floating by, barely keeping its head above water, and so he jumps in the water, he goes out there, and he grabs the baby, and he brings it back to the shore, and people begin to gather around and help resuscitate this baby, and he looks out, and there's another one floating down the river, and he runs out, and he grabs this baby, and he brings it back, and, and then there's five more, and several people jump in the water, and they go, and they bring the baby back, and then the babies just keep coming and coming, and people are jumping in the river, going to get the babies and bring them back to the shore, but nobody took a moment to figure out what's going on upstream. And that's the difference between missions that are merciful and missions that demand justice. And we're supposed to be both. He says to Sardis, you sure make a good appearance, but I know what's in your heart. And I suspect that uh, uh, (laughs) that appearance thing is kind of like dressing up for Sunday but spiritually dressing down the rest of the week. How how much do you relax your faith so that you can interact with other people and not offend, not, not turn them away, not make them think that you're just too overboard in your faith? He says to Philadelphia, you've been diligent in your faith and it doesn't go unnoticed. And then he says to Laodicea, Look, hot or cold, but decide on one. Lukewarm doesn't cut it. Halfway doesn't cut it. You're in or you're out. Make a decision. And just as those things convict our hearts, he moves from that conviction to a promised throne room, to a promised presence of God, to the promised presence of a God who is worthy of our worship. 
who deserves our honor and respect, who, who, who created us to live in a way that brings us our deepest joy and reward us for living it. Those creatures and those elders, they're the ones, those who know God the best, worship God the most. I wonder though, as you think about your Monday through Saturday, I wonder if we could flip that phrase and instead say, those who worship God the most will know God the best. And maybe that's what we're called to, amen? And amen.